0: Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, and my guest today is the marvelous Sarah Robbins, who is the Chief Operating Officer of uh, 21C, a hotel. T- <laughs> it's a chain that I have a very public obsession with so i have a million questions for sarah um and i'm so glad she's here today it's
1: great to be here thank you
0: so we my first time at a 21c i'm just going to rehash the story for people who don't know it sarah's heard me tell this a million times um i had uh, a thing i really love about hotels is you can be very present you can be very anonymous you can be you know met in your emotional state, whatever you happen to be, it's a pretty vulnerable thing. Um, I had just gotten some news about my family, that my my dad was sick and my mother was having to move to a nursing home, and I was going to be in the South anyway where they were, and I hadn't seen them for a while, and I thought, like, you know what, I need to go, I need to surprise them, and, uh, you know, am going to see where this goes. So I had this long drive through a really, really intense rainstorm. Showed up at uh, their retirement community, went and had a salad with them, and then um, drove several hours back to Durham, North Carolina, and I landed at a 21C hotel. I'd sort of heard they existed. I went in and got a drink at the bar, and it was actually a version of my favorite drink, the French 75. They were calling it the I-75 because uh, it cuts on through there, and uh, had a snack, and then I I got another drink. I'm just going to say that right up here. And I went to 21C museums. Um, they're well, they're they're hotels, but they have uh, public 24-hour museums in there, and uh, you can go and be with the art um, whenever you want to, however you need to be. There are you know, moving. There are some permanent things in places. There are some collections that move around. And I went into the video installation into a dark room with my drink, and I watched the video, and I just cried and let all the tension release and the fact that there was uh this art experience available for me in the middle of the night when i was really vulnerable and needed it was 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 huge to me um so sarah can you talk about some of the experiences that you've maybe heard about or seen where people were interacting with your hotel in a in a way that people don't usually
1: yeah, there's a great story. First of all, it's it's um it would be a strange word to use, uh, delighted to hear your story because <laughs> it involves weeping in in the video gallery. But um I the human that human connection um, when you sent that story to me, I think you sent me an email and shared that with me, and I forwarded that to our founder Steve Wilson, and he was also again weird word delighted to hear that because it's it's often um, I think in our business it's hard to necessarily reach people and particularly now when people are a little guarded with their phones and things like that and not really connecting with humans and so and if we can do it in another way it's it is really powerful and it's a it's a privilege that we have i think as part of the brand and there was one story that that i got that was from i mean it was just amazing and i sent it to the team at our property 21c cincinnati mm-hmm. Um, I've stayed there, too. <laughs> okay, and, I, and I said, just I can't imagine another hotel that gets to tell a story like this. And and um, you'll appreciate this, that the, the hotel before before we made it into 21C Cincinnati was a single-room occupancy, mm-hmm. uh, low-income housing. And there was a, a woman that her father lived there, and she had not made the connection when she, several years after he had passed and no longer lived there um, she made a reservation at 21C Cincinnati and she thought that that the address sounded familiar but mm-hmm. she never made the connection that oh, that was wow. where her father lived and of course upon coming up to the building um, and he suffered from I, I believe it was schizophrenia mm-hmm. and so her visits to to see her father were, Troubled. Fraught,
0: I imagine. Fraught,
1: and just filled with stress. And she it was when she was a teenager. So this was her going to visit maybe her son in college. And she said that when she, um, she went through the elevator and realized immediately, because the, the tile is still present. So if you had been in the building before mm-hmm. and then saw it now, it's so much of the historic components are still right, present in yeah. the building today so brought flooding back memories she got onto the elevator and then opened went to the floor where her father lived and when she opened the door oh. where his door the door to his room was which was right across apparently from the elevator instead it happened to be where we have an art vitrine on each <gasps> on each floor yeah and there was a beautiful landscape and she said oh my gosh it was she was so incredibly moved I mean I mean I was Talk about. I can imagine. I'm, I am mean, I'm I'm kind really, of tearing you know, up my, here. Actually, my, my, my face was was drenched by the time I I finished this, and she said it was so beautiful to see well even though it was a really challenging visit for her but to be back into this space and she was visiting for good reasons her son I think was in moving into college and that when she opened the door that what had been filled with really negative memories for her and really tough memories there was this beautiful landscape that was done by a a local artist in Cincinnati and and again I, I think I would use the word privilege that we're feeling incredibly fortunate to be able to have that type of experience for someone?
0: Well, I mean, the buildings are, uh, a lot of them are sort of adaptive reuse. They, all these buildings used to be other things, and mm-hmm. it's in. Um, markets that were maybe not served by hotels in the in the same way before. Um, the first one was well, the first one was Louisville, mm-hmm. I believe.
1: Yeah, and I think not only were they not served necessarily by hotels, larger brands might have passed over them, right? Um, because they maybe just might not have been quite as dynamic. But I think particularly from an arts perspective, a lot of the markets that we go into are underserved um, in arts, maybe in that area. Now in Cincinnati, we're fortunate that we it's right next to right the- next to the CAC. <laughs> (laughs) But um, and it was just nice to be an extension of that, and to be able to bring that back to the people. And as you said, it's really it is intended to be twenty four seven. You really put the the (laughs) twenty four into it. Yeah. Um, But that's yeah. It's I think it's underserved from from um, maybe a boutique hotel market but then also the art component as well and really having a museum experience even in a city like Nashville where mm. in that neighborhood there's no art presence and we're very delighted that somebody can just come in you know, on their lunch hour and walk through and enjoy the museum and then pop back out into their day
0: and there are things like there are old banks old you know, yeah. so you were saying that one had been in SRO and it had been empty for a while yeah yeah. And th- what are some of the other buildings that you have
1: yeah banks seem to come up, <laughs> come yeah. up a lot <laughs> So Durham was an old bank, and in fact, actually, um, in, starting in Louisville, Proof, which is our um, the restaurant there, um, the bar was where the bank was. We really tried hard to keep the keep the vault because we thought that would be right. fun. We were able to do that in both Lexington, which was also a bank, was that lock boxes? lockbox, lockbox, yeah. yes. And so that has a vault. So our private dining room there is a is a vault, and then in Durham, that's also a bank and um, Oklahoma counting C- house, right? County, and County right. house, right? And counting um, house, right? And Oklahoma City ha- was um, an. Old Ford Model T assembly plant. Oh wow! And so it has enormously large column grid that, and just ceilings that go on for days, and huge windows. Everything about it is is really big. Um, and then you have a building like Lexington, which is um, very very small, but the tallest building in Lexington.
0: I uh, I think that, I only saw that once. I took a hard hat tour right, actually right, of right. it. Um, saw it all. all coming I, th- I think the
1: bun had to come down, right? I think so. <laughs> right? Yes. It's I think not hard hat ready, right? It was.
0: It- yeah. Oh, you know what? No, it fit all over, over mm. my bun. So that was kind that's, of a, that's awesome. a lovely treat. Um, but great. also Bentonville, Arkansas.
1: Yeah. Unusual. Um, play, a lot of times people's eyebrows raise of Bentonville. Why, why Bentonville? And of course that's where Walmart's headquarters are. And we are located right off of the town square. And Kat, I, I swear I could say to you, I'll meet you on the square and you'd go there and then I'd be there and I would wave and wow. we'd find each other. <laughs> I've, very, I've never been. I, yeah. It's um, it's such a surprise. That market is such a surprise. I I, I really didn't know what to expect the mm-hmm. first time going there. And um, the the Waltons have built a, a beautiful, beautiful museum called Crystal Bridges. And where we're situated is right where it's at the trailhead where you, you can drive there as well. But um, there are these amazing trails that you can both buy or walk or run um, to go that leads you down into this um, ravine where it's almost like built out of the ravine is this incredibly beautiful museum called Crystal Bridges and it has all American art and it's just a lovely story and it really feels like small town Americana, but then with your whole history of American art from, yeah. you know, George Washington days all the way to um, contemporary art, and you really are weaving through history when it's all American, it's really beautifully, beautifully done.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the I'll, I'll come back to the art because I have so many feelings of, yeah. a, about this. Um, let's talk, though, about your origins in hospitality. How did you get started in this you came from the restaurant side
1: I did and um I was fortunate my my stepfather was a school teacher and so he had summers off and um because of the school teachers and they needed to work in the summer right, to help yeah. supplement that income and he was um he taught sailing on Martha's Vineyard and so I had the great fortune to be the sailing master's um Child or stepdaughter. <laughs> this sounds like the name so, of a novel. The sailing master's <laughs> daughter. daughter. Yeah. So he was up there for a summer for a summer job, and they provided housing, which you can only imagine what that was like on Martha's Vineyard. Um, and it was great. And so I had the opportunity to spend time up there. But the other fantastic part about it, not only is it a beautiful place to, to spend time, but um, if you have a heartbeat, um, yeah. you're hired, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, and especially if you can stay till till Labor Day, then you're definitely hired. So I had. I had this opportunity to work, and my first job was doing turn turndown um, at a Victorian inn. Mm. I put, you know, mints on the pillows and refreshed the towels, and then I thought, well, that's interesting, but I kind of want to see more action, because I didn't really get to talk to guests, and so I had the ability to go as a, as a be a breakfast server at a beautiful hotel that's still there, the Harbor View, and um, worked there, and I was bitten by the bug, and that was it. I was about 14 years old, and I just thought, this is, fantastic i loved the fact i think particularly because i was so young it wasn't often that as a child you were put in a position where you could actually make someone happy and you yeah. could do something you could you could influence an an adult's experience and i i thought that was i was really taken with that and i mm-hmm. just thought that felt really good i liked I've always been attracted to any leadership roles, and and I thought even as this young—I mean, I was a, ch- a child. Yeah, I mean that's a baby. <laughs> it, was a, it was a baby, yeah. And I was oh gosh, I was working with older people too I mean it really so there was all this great camaraderie that happened in the back Um, and then I had this ability to really do something for an adult that that felt really um, powerful in a a good sense that it was you were able to really shape someone's experience so that was and that was it and then I then I went to school for it and I loved the business side of it and so I love to eat and drink that was mm-hmm. always that was a forever since I was really little yeah. um
0: what kind of what school when yeah. you say school what is that
1: um so well I went to the hotel school at Cornell so mm-hmm. that um it's like an undergraduate business degree I'm so curious. Yeah. okay I always yeah. hear
0: about hotels uh, school and yeah. because I have you here I'm going to ask these 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 questions pardon my ignorance I've always wondered what happens at hotel school
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it was particularly funny being at Cornell because um you've got people that are like in engineering and they are studying or people that are taking like biochemistry and they're like Sarah what are you studying for and I was like oh I'm studying for my food and beverage (laughs) class yeah so Uh I mean well in that I mean in that class we took we took wine tasting we um I mean a lot of it was business related so you took everything for marketing and HR classes we took a lot of finance we took accounting yeah Did a lot of case studies um and then you did run a restaurant for one of the semesters. That was um, wow. What was your restaurant? Um, so my re- my restaurant was a night um, in New Orleans, and I did it with two, <laughs> two friends. I had never been to New Orleans. Oh my god! So you're yeah. just thinking
0: like I guess I can make gumbo. Yeah. We were
1: like, okay, we ordered the hurricane. You know um, the mix, mi- the mix. Oh, oh the Pat O'Brien, Pat exactly. And didn't order nearly enough. I remember we did run out. That was our that oh was our gosh. fail. Um, but it was fine. I mean, it was it was great, and I I think if I took, it was like, checked so many boxes because I love to eat, I love to drink, I like the people part of it, but I love then putting the numbers to that and making all of that, all of that work. So, um, it was just, I was done for. <laughs> was, oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. And so where did you go after school?
1: Um, so then after school, um, I went to New York and I worked, um, at Myriad Restaurant Group, which was like getting my graduate degree. Let's, um, ex- okay. Yeah. So Working I, for Drew. I yeah. so I
0: know yeah. Drew pretty well, Drew yeah. And he's, I mean, he has opened some of the most notable, memorable, important, restaurants in New York um, he's got let's say Tribeca Grill boo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah currently I have to give a shout out to Batard because I, I love it so and yeah. dear friends of mine um, work with him on that, um, what, are, what are the other
1: ones that he he's, gosh, he there had Montrachet. He had Montrachet, which was just fantastic. And he had, when I was there, there was um, In the Neighborhood with Layla, which was Middle mm. Eastern, which was phenomenal. And they had a belly dancer that came out every night at 9 wow. o'clock. Um, so when Actually, I. Actually, w- was just true. <laughs> he was just dancing. <laughs> yeah, there we go, yeah. Um, when, when I was there, that was when, I mean, he was. He was, I mean, he was, and still, which is really fantastic when you see what the the longevity of being able to be that. And he's just, he's such a good operator. And I learned so many lessons that were never going to come from what I got at Cornell as much as I loved that experience. Um, The lessons I learned from Drew were just um, immeasurable. And and working for Marty Shapiro, who's been a Tribeca girl for a long time, and Michael Bonadies, David Gordon, I mean, all of those people, um, I still... I still go back, uh, hear them in my in my head, <laughs> probably more than I should. Yeah.
0: I actually, um, Pete Wells had come on um, this this podcast, and sort of afterwards, we were, we were talking about, you know, Drew and his intensely his depth of knowledge, and he was saying like, Drew will just say like, you never put this table by the bathroom, you know, such and such or whatever, right. and just like, oh, it was you never put coat check by the door, and you know, and just these things that he, you know he gleaned over years and years yeah. of being a restaurateur. So, do you remember when he first? opened was it the early
1: 80s was it in the, wanna, even in the I 70s say it was in the I you know I'm not sure I mean he came from Maxwell's plum and then he opened Montrachet and I think that was in the. I mean I I graduated in 95 mm-hmm. so um and Tribeca had been open for a couple of years when I when I got yeah. there. And Montrachet had been open for about 10 years before, so it must have been the 80s. Yeah, and he's that.
0: wailed school with the celebrity partners. Definitely, <laughs> like De Niro, yeah. Robert yeah. De Niro is right. a business partner of, of his as well. And I think their, yeah. um, their offices are above uh, Tribeca Grill and actually yeah, – Tribeca uh, Films, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's just – it's crazy. So, it's, I mean, to be able to form part – be part of the formation – of that particular um, era of culture in New York, I mean that had to be what did so. Tell me a few of the things that you learned there on the job.
1: Yeah, I think um, I mean there were there were a lot of things just in terms of running the dining room that were the practical how to run a room, how to maximize a reservation book. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it. It was before open table, so you were doing everything manually, and we were. It was at such a high volume. What was what Tribeca Girl* was with doing at the, at the celebrities. time? Celebrities with with celebrities, and so it was really managing a lot of a lot of moving parts. But the good news was, I feel fortunate that I had those had that opportunity to just focus on the floor. I didn't have to get onto TripAdvisor or Yelp or open table and respond to reviews. Those I didn't have that distraction that our our restaurant managers now have today. Yeah. I was there to deliver to the guest to train the team and to manage and really run the floor and with no other real distractions beside that that was plenty but I was also really able to hyper focus on that so I think part of it was was just the rep like monet I mean it was monetizing revenue management Mm -hmm. um, within seating and making sure that how you built your book really depended on how many covers you were going to do that night and you're really able to maximize that and I think the fact that I had to do it by hand wow um, yeah Whereas Open table, you know, and mm-hmm. some of the other reservation systems, you know, kind of do the thinking for you. I think understanding how to build the book um, was really incredibly important. And then I think the other part that I took from, from Drew um, was I never felt like if I made a mistake – that the, the world was going to come to an end that's huge and I was really young I started out in their management training program and then was a manager and I looked like I was about 12 years old and Drew also had us wear um the Tribeca Grill uniform because, what was that well it was super sexy cat um, <laughs> it, it was a denim shirt that was buttoned at the top with a Tribeca Grill pin and black wow. pants and his but the but the message he was sending to managers and where he was coming from was it used to be you know some a, a manager might have been and some very expensive suit and they would never bust a table because they didn't want to get their suit dirty that didn't really contribute a lot to teamwork on right the floor. and again Tribeca Grill was really really high volume and so there was not an option so putting the managers in the same uniform as the as the servers um, really sent a message to the team that I'm you know I'm no better than you and I if that table needs bussing then here here I am um, it did make me often Look, not like, exactly like a manager, right. <laughs> so you had to have a, some other presence, uh, yeah, to come about to, to you know show that you were the person person in charge. Um, but what I loved about all of that, so I was quite young, is that there were times that I would make epic fail mistakes where a, a celebrity that I just didn't know. Um, oh, right. Or someone would call and ask for a favor and I would I would decline a reservation. And then, you know, maybe five minutes later, this was cell phones were just about coming around right. now, that you know, Drew would call and say, Hey, did you say no to so-and-so? I'm like, oh no, I didn't I didn't know. And he was like, No problem, just next time let him, you know, take him in. He just never he he just gave you had you felt like it was a safe environment that I was free to make mistakes. There was always coaching after the fact, um, and Marty Shapiro, who was the person that I really worked with the most, mimicked that, and mm-hmm. that was a really nice learning environment um, that I was able to really make a lot of mistakes without the world coming to an end. And you know, you had to improve, yeah, <laughs> learn each time, um, but it was it was great, and uh, I really took a lot of my management and leadership style from that.
0: Let's talk for a second, though, about, you know, that that high volume, like it being a super bustling, like the place to be, about the management of people with really, or management of customers with really high expectations and the wallet uh, to match. I know that... Um, Entitlement can be a really, really huge thing, and especially, you know, Tribeca is probably one of the most expensive zip codes in the United States, mm-hmm. and I know, you know, there's, there's so, there was a lot of wealth. Uh, mm-hmm. There is now, and there was, and there was then. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. So, let's talk about how you you know, learn as a, you know, as a young person, like how to, how to do that to maybe deal with people who aren't used to any kinds of no, or some sort of, or or not having things exactly how they, how you want, how do you, how do you do that? And how do you take the ego out of it?
1: Yeah, I think um, it was actually a blessing in some ways, because I think a lot of times you can get, you can spend more energy, useless energy, of telling a guest no, or, or framing um, what the rules are, and there were a lot of rules. You had confirmations, and you know you could mm-hmm. be you could be that way. Um, we can't. I mean, we can't be. We can't require people confirm their reservations or they lose right. their reservations, and that's the way it was then. Um, if the, if they didn't confirm it, we rebooked the table, mm-hmm. which I mean we couldn't. Any more get by with that in Louisville, Kentucky, or any of our right. other markets? So, but what was interesting is that I and I fell prey to this that I found myself really, and especially because I was trying to do such a good job, and I was a new manager. I really wanted to follow the rules, and if if you know, in that case, I would say, well, the the guest didn't reconfirm. You didn't reconfirm when we have rebooked your table, and I thought. At the end, I'm going to ultimately – that guest is going to get what they want mm-hmm. for all the reasons that you mentioned. And I just expended a lot of energy, and I really was no better for it. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it just be easier if I just said yes and moved on? And so that that also really shaped how um, – how i lead and 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 what um i really encourage our leaders to to look at today at 21c that it's it's like just say yes and we'll figure out a way to do it yeah but don't you're you're stressing yourself out and you're really making the customer angry okay so we're not taking care of our guests just for starters but the other part of it was that you know what did that do to you um Mm -hmm. that was really negative and i just thought okay i'm gonna let go of that and and uh david gordon um i remember (laughs) I remember i would go to him and I'm like but david you know this wine wasn't corked you know it, we shouldn't take it off the check and he would just look at me as, as just as pragmatic as could possibly be and he was like sarah i'm not asking you to pay for it out of your own pocket just take it off the check what are you doing you know and so there was that good life lesson but right. again as i loved cornell and that program was phenomenal i'm a huge huge um advocate for it but it was those life lessons where I thought I'm I'm like chasing my own tail here and I'm really making the guest unhappy, but I'm also making myself miserable in the meantime. And um, life's too short. Just let it go and say yes and be done with it. Yeah, you focus know, on other things.
0: I, I really, really like that a lot. And um, just for context, by the way, here, we are uh, actually in my hotel room in Austin. <laughs> at uh, So we're actually in a hotel
1: room. <laughs> um, just and, to set the scene. Yeah, yeah.
0: and, and uh, at South by Southwest – in, uh, in Austin and we were on a, just on a panel about running an empathetic, uh, kitchen and you were, uh, you mentioned on it that you, you know, you were young, you were in New York and, um, you were told that you had to be
1: meaner. Was
0: it yeah. meaner or was it not as nicer? Um, what was just the- tougher?
1: Just that I thought I just, that I needed to be tougher. And that, you know, um, like I would bet when I would write the schedule for the team, I would take requests and I thought, well, If they can't work that day, then instead of everybody trading shifts, it was really hard to manage. I thought, why don't I just get a schedule request book and people can ask off for when they want because they're in this business so that they can be off on Tuesday afternoon to go do whatever, you know, their audition audition or or whatever that might be. And so – and someone said, you should just write the schedule and they should be happy that they got a shift. And, you know, you're bending over backwards. They thought I was um, like – Kowtow, I don't know. I can't think of it just being too overly um, permissive and that somehow that was negative. And I thought, well, let's play this out, though. Let's say they, they can't be here on Tuesday for Tuesday night. And I put them on anyway because I disregarded their schedule request. And then they, for some reason, aren't able to trade the shift. And now they're here on Tuesday night because they want to keep their job. They don't want to be here. They're super pissed. How great is are they taking care of the guests? Well, like, what's their mindset like? Yeah. And so I really looked at something as simple as how I managed the schedule. I looked at something like that as really directly impacting our hospitality and our guest experience making sure that we had the people there when they wanted to be there and certainly there were times that you asked you know okay i need you i need you to work but it was a conversation and dialogue and it was just i i don't know i didn't i didn't see any upside to being this hard ass and it was not in my nature and as i said on the panel i also Probably couldn't really get away with it. I would have definitely been labeled the B word, mm-hmm. and yes. um, it's so which, gendered how we so <laughs> much. And I not that I really would have cared. Probably at the time, I I might have cared about that more. Um, it was much less about that, and it was more about how I felt at mm-hmm. the end of the day. So yeah, yeah,
0: the only managers who I've ever had who were like, well, you know, you need to be tougher, you need to be meaner. Like they were just looking for an excuse to be mean to me. Yeah, I, <laughs> like basically, I, think so, right? I have never yeah. felt good about being harsher. I, and I think like if for some reason I am put in a position where I have to be harsh, it means I wasn't doing my job right. in the first place as Agreed. a, as a manager. And, uh, you know, these, the people who, you know, managed me, who, who wanted me to do that, like some, some wanted work taken off their plate cause they wanted me to do a tough job. They didn't feel like yeah. doing <laughs> in which case, but also, you know, they had decided how I was going to be as a person. And that mm-hmm. was not,
1: that's not a great way to manage. Yeah. I just, I think it has to be authentic and natural coming from you. Whatever your leadership style is, it has to start with who and what you are. Um and I and I just you can just do the math. Like 10% of your team is going to do everything that you say all the time. Oh, they're great. Love mm-hmm. them. 10% is never going to do it whether you yell at them, whether you bake them cookies, whether <laughs> you give them the schedule that they want, what whatever. And then 80% is, you know, you, they're going to do a, whatever you put towards it. And so if if I'm going to spend, I'm not going to worry about the 10% as much. I'm going to worry about that other 80% that how do I feel? They're going to either do it or not. And whether I yell at them or not, it's not really going to change significantly whether they deliver. Um, And so again, it went back to how did I want to feel at the end of the day? Um, What did I think was realistic? And I don't know. I just thought this is I just—it seemed like a fight that I just didn't want to have. I thought, couldn't we just all get along I, right, like, yeah. and just be adults here? I, that was the other thing that I really took from *Tribeca Girl*. Is I think everybody was treated like an adult. They took—that mm. was their assumption until someone else proved otherwise. Another than that, you're an adult. You need—you know when you need to be here. And they just let it go. And it wasn't like this micromanage where, you know, you're a manager with a clipboard. And so I took a lot of cues from that right. and really set the tone for how I lead today. That's really... Or how uh, we try to lead today. Well, and not always successful. Uh, <laughs> no. So. And that, well, we'll
0: talk about that in, yeah. in a second. But my, my former colleague, Sarah Le Trent and I um, had a thing, JBCM, which means just be cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> and it's right. just you treat other people how yeah. you want to be treated. And, right. you know, losing your cool is is not a not a great thing. Um yeah. You know we were we were talking on this panel earlier about um yelling mm-hmm. and how you don't want to do that. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I guess I just again anytime we yell, you never feel great afterwards. I mean there's certainly times where you vent and mm-hmm. I could vent to a friend, but like yelling at someone I don't think ever really feels fantastic even if you're like okay you got something off your chest at the end of the day you were screaming you're probably your face is really hot and red it's an uncomfortable physical it's
0: physically terrible phys- it's physically
1: <laughs> awful feeling and so um, and I just didn't see I didn't see it move the dial I mean frankly I mean I'll be I'll be honest, if it moved the dial and everybody was doing their job at 100%, maybe I would scream every day. But when I didn't see the results, I thought, what, this is insane. Yeah. So, I mean, there have been times where I have said, I've joked with some members of the team. I was like, I've never yelled. And one person said, well, you did, you did yell at me, but you did say, you didn't raise your voice, but you did say, this is me yelling at you. I am yelling at you, but I didn't raise, but I didn't raise, my, <laughs> didn't raise my voice. And I was like, oh yeah, I did, I did do that. But I think I can. I mean, that's like I can count on one hand. That's yeah. not to say that I don't, um, I don't unintentionally mm-hmm. cut cut some. Like I don't unintentionally say something that we all strikes someone that I. But it's never. I'm never yelling. And so when you know, sometimes there are times that you know on our team or you know HR is alerted that someone's been yelling or raising their voice and my line is always okay tell me about the last time I yelled at you and they probably can't give that time and say so okay that's we don't do that like and yeah. life is too short and I'm also worried about that that individual the yeller because they that's not good for them it's just not good for them yeah it's so, so not great it, to be around it's not great and it's not great to be around um so it's just there's there's not enough time so you stuff like that
0: yeah no I completely <laughs> <laughs> right. agree with it you know i yeah. i dated a guy who um he he was quoting a friend of his once he said the only person who should yell at you after age 25 is your lover <laughs> right. and I'm like oh actually and ideally not too much of that I mean right. ideally but, not that either but right. like yeah and I was thinking like yeah that's actually really a really great yeah. way to yeah. do it so after
1: um, you uh, were at Myriad is, did you go right to 21C what were your stops yeah so be- it was interesting because I, I left New York um, sooner than I really thought I was going to and um, we decided to move back home to Louisville it was back home for me my husband and was- I love when
0: people say Louisville because Louisville. I'm like I <laughs> come from Kentucky, you, yeah, you say you do, Louisville. You do, you
1: do a great job. Um, and so we decided, you know, I moved to New York to work, but I always said I moved to Louisville to live, and that, that we just liked the idea of that that lifestyle. We were a little bit concerned about my husband's from Pennsylvania, and he was not quite sure about moving to, <laughs> moving to Louisville. Just a little nervous right. about it. And um, so much so that we sublet our apartment for two years. Wow. Okay. Because we just needed a little bit of I a safety that. net of like, ah, are we really going to cut the cord? And it was funny because two years later, I think – when the lease came up, I was, I think we'd already had our first child and we looked at each other and we're like, we're going nowhere, we're never, never, yeah. And so we finally, finally gave that up. But so I moved back home and I, but I was really fortunate because Drew and then his partner, Michael Bonadie's. We're doing a lot of restaurant consulting for hotels, yeah. Um, and so they would be brought in by a hotel company that said, "Hey, we're really having trouble running our food and beverage outlets. We really want more of an independent restaurant feel. Can you help us?" And so I did a lot of those projects, and I was able to do that remotely from Louisville. And so I traveled and did openings and service training, oh, wow. and helped develop some concepts for places. And I think what was fascinating about that is that you got when you were had those in and out um, experiences, you had an opportunity. To go behind the curtain, see another company's culture, oh, because you were yes. working with them. You didn't yes. have to stay though, and nine times out of ten, I was so thankful for that. That I yeah. thought, okay, that I am so I, I realized how I think that was really what framed not only a new that leadership style was really important to me, and a new way, you know I had a great experience at Tribeca, but I also realized how important just the general culture was that. That permeated throughout an yeah. entire organization, and so um, I would always play the game when I would do these jobs. I'm like, could I live here? Just said, like, could, right. I here? Yeah. could I live here? Could I live here? Not that, that I was going to move, but like, could I live here? And I like to do that when I'm traveling, and I like, what too. would it be like? And um, try that on for size. And then the other was, could I work for this organization? And um, and why or why not? And I just use that as additional. Exposure mm-hmm. of wow, I really I would never want to work for that person, or man, that's a leader that I would mm-hmm. want to work for. Um, and then tried to model behavior off of that. And then one of those consulting jobs ended up being 21C in in Louisville. And so um Michael Bonnie's with joking, he said, Hey man, now I've got to fly to you. So he and Drew were were flying and helping develop that project. And what started out as a management contract with 21 what was then going to be 21c we ended up saying okay this is what we're going to do and then I I started out it was just going to be a few hours a week uh-huh. to help it get started and that was <laughs> how'd <you> know, that <laughs> end up for you that was like 14 almost 14 years later um here we are so yeah that um I just I was captured by the by what was developing as the brand that's so.
0: a, and the fact that it has these uh like the the owners are amazing people i have met i think i don't know if both but at least one of them and they're serious art collectors very yeah who uh, so how fashion. did that, how did that come about the sort of art and hotel Synthesis.
1: Yeah, so the original thought was they owned some, they bought some old buildings. Louisville went through a period of downtown, like a lot of small towns like or Durham, secondary Cincinnati, cities, yeah. where there was the, you know, people moved out to the suburbs and businesses left their downtowns, and then they were they were just sitting there, empty empty buildings. And so, um, Laura Lee Brown and Steve Wilson, the the founders, bought some buildings on Main Street where where 21C is today, not really knowing what they were going to do with them. I think when they originally bought them, and they were collecting a lot of contemporary art and um their house was filled um the walls were were filled and so they they approached the local art museum and said wouldn't it be great if we had a contemporary branch and we could use these um, buildings to do that at the time they couldn't work out the a partnership and so um they got some advice from a friend said you know maybe you should do something that actually produces revenue so that you're not just (laughs) constantly you know writing a check and that um that you could have this idea that and that maybe the art could actually help drive the hotel and drive a restaurant there, and that was how the idea was was born. And and so, um, we, Drew was and Michael were approached to do the restaurant, and we were going to just help conceptualize. And um, there were direct flights, and I lived there, and they were like, "Oh, this is yeah, we can do this, easy peasy." And then the rest is the rest is history. And I think what we saw was people respond so much to the art mm-hmm. that like your example that you had and that was that was really moving to everyone and we just and then we started getting calls to go to other cities and people would say well we want one in our city and um that's how that's really how our development has happened to date has been pretty reactive. Um, we always intend to be much more proactive. Oh, I've been begging you yeah. for Brooklyn for the longest <laughs> we time. Oh, Kat, we have tried. Oh, uh, cat, we have tried. Oh, the probably Gowanus like, somewhere. Yeah, we we're like <laughs> 0 for 5 maybe on that. Oh, so shoot. One of these days it'll it'll catch. So um, we'd love to be there actually. So
0: Yeah, I it was funny. I walked into Louisville and I stopped at the desk. Um, an artist oh, right. I, I yeah an artist who was uh, so my background is in in fine art and when I moved to New York I worked as an artist' assistant for several different people including one where I worked a lot on, on her her sculptures these really intensely lifelike oh, children yeah. And, uh, you know, she and our de- a relationship developed where, you know, she would uh, do the original casts of it. And then I would sort of get rid of the seams. And then, uh, you know, by the end, I was trusted to do the underpaintings of all the skin and stuff. Oh. I walked into <gasps> Louisville and there yeah. are a bunch of these sculptures, like life-size children, like behind the front desk. Yeah. and I, just I mean, you st-
1: must have stopped in your tracks. I, I
0: just, I, I think I started crying. And, I, uh, and we're Facebook friends. Is this artist yeah. uh, Judy Fox. And I sent her a picture like, oh, oh, my goodness. And I couldn't remember if I had worked on those specific pieces or not. Oh, my
1: gosh. Oh, I'm going to just pretend like you did. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. But it was it was such a powerful thing for me. And that also is one of the hotels where there's some interactive stuff, too. Um, So there's it's not just this. So this is not just like paintings hanging on the wall. There's interactive stuff. So there is one where it's um, reactive to how you are moving. And it's these letters that are are sort of falling from the sky. But then they'll they'll move along with you. And then.
1: Can be what? manipulated, and it's a poem actually.
0: Oh, what is what? I, yeah. did, I I didn't even realize that part.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a poem, and um, don't ask me to quote <laughs> any of that because you don't often see it in its entirety because it really is just letters. It's called Text Rain, um, by Camille. I believe it's Camille Utterbach. and uh, she's really she was an emerging artist at the time, and and now has gone on to do some really incredible work. So that's been a fun part too. I think just over the history, is to see artists that Laurelly and Steve were really drawn to early on and then watch their career take off and if we've had any tiny small part in helping get their name out there um that is that's the cherry on top but it's just been interesting to watch a lot of them really develop and and uh just keep growing
0: there's a yeah. wiley portrait as a, which hotel is that in
1: well sorry gosh right now i'm trying to remember where that where those are and that and Um, that was something where i i I stood it was
0: maybe in cincinnati at the time when i saw it and i say that's in durham but yeah yeah. or or it might have been like i've gone to the various things and and to see then that he painted uh barack obama yes (laughs) later on and and to think like when i saw that that uh you know that portrait i heard that he was he was uh going to be doing um obama's portrait and i was thinking like it felt such a I had stood in awe (laughs) near his his work in in one of those hotels and it was just it it was an astonishing thing to be able to even have just that small collection of connection of of, you know becoming a
1: fan just in that moment right well and it's funny for something like that we heard from members of the team that they loved the art that Mm -hmm. was on the wall they loved those pieces of his Um, but they didn't really realize how I mean and he certainly has grown in in fame um, and now with Obama's portrait it's got you know you've watched that skyrocket mm-hmm. and when members of our team like wait a minute that that hey sarah that's yeah. the guy that just, we and that was in our hotel you know it's yeah. just interesting because it, it's just like that just to hear that context they just couldn't they could not believe um that that we had That artist and had several of his of his pieces. So yeah, it's it's so beautiful. It's neat to see their reaction too.
0: Oh god, yeah, so and and uh, the you know the art. There are different. There's some permanent pieces and then some. you know, or move around. Yeah. Uh, but then what I really like, let's talk about vulnerability for a minute here, because um, I was thinking about that, that one that sort of the letters fall mm-hmm. from the sky and you're moving around. And it's a moment where you get to play mm-hmm. and you're, so if you're staying in a hotel, um, you might be there for a billion different reasons. You yeah. might be there for a wedding or to visit family or you might be there, you know, in my case, because uh, yeah. you know, I was worried about my, my parents. You could be, you know, just a, a thousand um, Um, You could be business or or um, I actually, I fell in love with the one in Durham so much that I, I had stayed there. I soon after that trip, um, my husband comes from North Carolina and uh, I actually padded in an extra day to our trip so I could bring him to that hotel. Oh, because, so, great. so it had this powerful time. Um, but there are a billion different reasons and there, uh, and the um, art in a lot of them, I feel like is interactive. You're in this vulnerable space. You're far from home. You're people, you may or may not be there with anybody, you know, and mm-hmm. so you might have an un guarded moment with mm-hmm. this art I mean is yeah. that notion built in there
1: I mean I think that um as you I haven't really thought about it like that Kat but I I think uh, I've recently rewatched Lost in Translation
0: oh I love that yeah
1: oh, it's such a great movie Beautiful. and there is that that movie captures that vulnerability I think really yeah. beautifully and that you have when you're vulnerable though that can sound like something that's maybe net you know potentially negative but I think it also does allow you to be open, yeah, to something. And so, um, you know, you—I I was saying that we, you know, play that game. If when you go to a new city, like, could I live here? Mm-hmm. Um, I think lots of people do that when they travel and they try on right. perhaps a different persona. There's, you know, there's the whole what happens in Vegas, right? it's like, that. right? That's you know, we all we all do. And I think there's, I think that's what is so romantic about traveling is that you have an opportunity to maybe be somebody else for just a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe not permanently. And you want to, you know, that coming home is fantastic, too. And it's just as sweet. But I think it does allow you an opportunity to be more open. And particularly if you are struck by a piece that really captures your attention in some way, it does ask you to it begs for more yeah often and sometimes people walk through and they they don't pay any attention we we interviewed some people in Bentonville that were long time so those are like the road warriors they they we keep their running shoes we keep their dob kits because they are they are traveling to Walmart they come in on Monday they leave on Friday and we are truly their home away from home and someone made the comment they said you know I never they've stayed there so many times and they said you know I never make time to go visit the museum, but I know it's there, and I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> so even from, you know, it's on, I just wanted to say, oh, just once. just They why, just need you know. to grab a drink yeah, and go in just, the middle of the right, night. Right, but I thought that was so funny that even though they admittedly don't take advantage of it, they still were comforted knowing that it was there. I thought, oh, that's so great. Yeah, that
0: and that's good. a special sort of like, to be able to go in the middle of the night. So yeah, it's so intimate. It, it, it really, really is. I, I felt like You know, there were a couple other people walking through that one particular night, and I thought, like, I wonder how they found their way here. It was just, Mm -hmm. it was just a sort of neat thing to see that that was something people, something people were voluntarily doing with their time. Yeah,
1: I think I, I think I may have told you this, but um, you know, when we had one property, when you then move from one to two, sometimes you have to tweak your rules, so to speak. You know, of like what worked for maybe one doesn't work for for two and then it's particularly if you are going to have 10 you you do have to modify things just slightly mm-hmm. you never want it to be apparent and so one of the things that happened was in Cincinnati when um, because it was 24-7 and we always said that you know, contemporary art available twenty four seven. And in Cincinnati, um, because we're in the you know really the heart of downtown, we had some, some we had some um, uh, let's say so a little bit of vandalism yeah. in one of our spaces. And so the team said, you know, being protective of the art, they said, you know, should we? I think maybe we should close down the galleries, say between one and six. Can we at least shut this off? And we had a real moment to say. Are we going to do that? Or no, are we going to put the 24-7 and 24-7? And I'm so glad that we stuck to our guns. Yeah. It was a moment in time in the in the development of the brand of really establishing who and what we are. And we said, no, we're, you know, we, that's what we, we can, there's nothing that's, it's not like we have Picassos um, <laughs> there. And so in terms of from a value may they, they may be really valuable to us, but there are a lot of things that we can do. And we frankly do not have a lot of damage. We're very, very mm-hmm. fortunate that people are incredibly respective. So it's not an ongoing problem that we run into but we loved the idea of like no it should be available 24 7 and yeah. we're going to put our foot down on this one and and we never looked back um since then and and uh just hearing you talk about it yeah. that way nor will we that, yeah. yeah thank you yeah, I mean, right appreciate
0: on. that like it's comforting to me to you know even if I'm many miles away I could yeah. always go in <laughs> it's <laughs> always right there see yeah. and yeah, yeah and, and and see the art and I think that's such a special thing and um we were also talking so there's <laughs> this thing at all of the hotels um there are these pieces of movable art um they're present in all of the hotels they're four foot tall uh i think resin is it resin it's, pl- it's plastic
1: yeah plastic, plastic penguins, penguins.
0: Yeah. and they are there's a flock at e- <laughs> at each one and you know and they each hotel has a different color mm-hmm. um of them but you can—they don't leave leave the premises, and uh, so I imagine people try to take them. Um, but you can move them around. Um, mm-hmm. They are sometimes in the bars, sometimes in the restaurant, sometimes they show up in your shower. Jennifer <laughs> Garner recently, on her Instagram, posted a video of yeah, her like showering uh, the the penguin. And the thing is, that it you know they're they're sort of. They're easily accessible art. There's something really comforting about the weight and size of them. And I, was, I hadn't really put this together until um, we were talking uh, just yesterday. Like, if you're traveling, you probably don't have your animal with you. If you have <laughs> a dog or a cat or something right. like that, and you're used to having some other life form yeah. there. Um, and it's weirdly comforting to be able to pick up a penguin and bring it into your room. <laughs> yeah. And so talk to me about the emotional response that people have have had to this thing. Yeah, (laughs) I think,
1: I mean, the story that that Steve always tells is, and we all watched it happen, that they were, the penguins were purchased as part of the permanent exhibition to remain in Louisville. The rest of, and we have a few pieces like that on each property, as you mentioned, that are permanent to that, like the Judy Fox piece and sculptures. But the penguins were just one of that they weren't anything in particular special we thought they were great but they were one of 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 several and it was really how the public responded to that they had there was a playfulness Mm -hmm. that I think people really gravitated towards them and they as Steve I says the public really chose them more than we did (laughs) and it was just the response so when we were again determining okay well how do you take something from one to multiples where where do we want what carries through and um that was one of the few things that we said. I mean, obviously, the from a model standpoint, it was hotels and contemporary, um, contemporary art museum, and and uh, you know, great F and B. But that that penguin was the, the, going to be the common common thread. But there's a feeling of of whimsy or that playful quality i i love the fact that they also seem very at your service but in a do looks like a little butler they're just there's something about them that just make people smile and you know we'll pe- have people in our restaurants that it will be you know they've requested them oh i've requested a
0: penguin to the table to before. the table yeah it's a, i mean
1: it is a real thing and um there's a so it's been i mean that part has been really fun and you know the team wears instead of name tags they wear a little penguin pin um, and it's just this nice little current I think that runs runs through it but um they've been yeah they've been great
0: I you are aware of the fact that I did remove one from the premises once uh, with sort of semi with permission it was one of the 21c uh, though in Lexington wasn't open yet and it was uh, with permission yeah, it was yeah, sure. yeah yeah with a mutual friend of the brand right. and uh we took the penguin out for tacos mm-hmm. in, in Lexington and it yeah. was but it felt like it, it felt like wonderful anarchy to be able to do that, to fit yeah. the penguin into the car. Cause those are really
1: quite they large. They seem to grow when you try to put them in a car is what my experience has been. I'm like, this <laughs> yes. was so petite. Now I'm trying to put it in a car and it feels like it's <laughs> doubled, it's doubled in size or something like it, it yeah. really is. But
0: I, I, I know it's so silly, but I have, I get such comfort from those penguins. I, I took pictures and it's so funny that I love them so much that people will actually friends of mine, if they're traveling, will like tag uh, yeah. me in their pictures of, of right. the penguins or, or in other people that were like, Oh, that person is clearly staying, you know, here so I'll, I'll tag Kat the in the Jennifer Garner like Instagram posts, like so many people tag me in the comments there. Well I
1: what I like about it is that the the those cracking art group penguins did not come out of some decision that said, okay, we need to add something to the hotel that's Instagrammable. Mm-hmm. I a little part of me would die if that was how they right. came about. Now, did they show up on Instagram? Yes, all the time, and it is fine, and I love that part. But I love it that it was just part of the collection, and then the public chose them and celebrated <laughs> them, and we just let them kind of take it take it from there um, I'm just glad it wasn't out of some boardroom meeting right uh, that would have been really depressing
0: but that is that is a success um, in a huge way let's talk for a moment about embracing failure uh, you yes. there's a great arms up
1: gesture Can you <laughs> so
0: let's talk about the I failed
1: yeah hmm. the I failed um, well it is a, <laughs> it's really interesting to be in Austin <laughs> in particular because Austin was supposed to be the second 21c so I guess in that in that spirit it could be here in Austin in, that I should be throwing my arms <laughs> up and saying we failed, but um, yeah, everything happens for a reason. But the the we failed part, um, I was I was reading um, the uh, the the very intellectual book um, Bossy Pants by Tina, <laughs> by Tina Fey. I had a moment when I was reading because she talked about this, you know, the whole tenet of of improv being yes. Eh? But so uh, when I was reading when I was reading Tina's book, um, she talked about the tenet of of improv and that it was this idea of saying yes and yes and and that that's been a lot of the spirit of our culture as well and I thought okay that's interesting I'd never thought about it necessarily as improv and my sister-in-law who's incredibly talented um does she had done improv for a long time and then she was using it as an application for businesses so she did a lot of consulting um super creative she's like very left brain and right brain um brilliant brilliant woman um and she would use the tenets of of improv to work with companies to really try to to look at things from different lenses and just be a lot more open to ideas and change mm-hmm. and whatever they needed and so i i asked her if she ever did it in a service training format and she had she had not and she said but well you know we can let's let's play around with that and so we we brought her so she has two other partners that are also really talented and they came in and they did this improv training with us really with the idea that we're, we're all here to like, make your partner, there are all these great tenants that really do tie so beautifully back to hospitality, like make your partner look good, um, yes and, that if you came to me, I should my knee-jerk reaction needs to be yes, and then I should add something to it. Um, Yes, and why don't we also do this? So all these great elements that we could use from a from a service culture perspective. But the story that she talks about is that in that in improv you need to feel safe, um, and that you need to feel like it's okay to fail, and that if you are hung up on this idea of failure, you're never going to get any of the good stuff because you're you know you're listening to that stupid voice in our head that we. I yeah wish we, where we, all we got do, it where, do we do, where is the off switch um one of the guys called it ramon and he was like ramon is smoking in a corner and is like <laughs> you're terrible you're a total failure <laughs> oh my god uh, i love that yeah ramon and so yeah mine is ramona now i'm like ah oh, that bitch she's got she shut up already but so christina opens the thing with the idea of like we're gonna embrace failure because that's part of this and you have to be okay with that and she talks about what a tightrope tightrope walker does at the circus as they get up they make an attempt they might slip and fall they land in that safety net and instead of you know slinking off stage or out, you know out of the center the spotlight is beamed on them and they throw their hands up in the air and the crowd goes wild encouraging them to go try again and that's <laughs> what she was trying to you know hit home with us in terms of doing this improv training and then obviously then tied to hospitality and service culture and so um, anytime during the improv training somebody made a mistake doing you know attempting this because it's there's no rules and you just have to think on your feet that we, if we got botched up we would throw our hands in the air and say I failed and so that's become part of the 21c <laughs> culture is somebody will come to me and say hey Sarah and they'll throw their hands up like I failed here's the deal <laughs> this is what we need to do. but it's a it create it does create a safe environment so that at least you know what problems you have to solve um, it's a lot hard it's a lot harder to not know what the problems are you're never going to be able to solve them if it's if your team isn't coming to you and is being really open about it so that that's how that all tied together it's it's good to fail right yeah definitely Uh, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment yeah well like all the tech firms it's like they have huge signs like fail faster make mistakes faster so that you get you're trying you're trying and like with every action you get a reaction and then that reaction means either yes or no or we need to tweak something and let's go and it really does keep progress moving um if you're terrified of failing you're just never going to try anything new and it's just a terrible environment to be in so.
0: yeah I, I know that that sort of almost paralysis mm. yeah. I, andrew simpson always says analysis paralysis and right I, or buffet syndrome is the other thing where you're just, so many choices There's so many choices
1: i don't know it's like with like if you every time you choose something something is going to happen that action reaction mm-hmm. and then you can move on and keep keep that keep that going so
0: and I, I've been thinking about this a lot since we had this essay by Ashley Christensen about then redefining for yourself uh, what success looks like. So mm-hmm. what would a deeply successful guest stay look like uh, for you? Like if you're if your bird's eye View of yeah. somebody's, uh, you know, their interactions with the with the with the team and stuff. What do, what would that look like?
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is just trying to meet them at their point of need and the way in 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 the most appropriate ways that we can do that. And as you said, there are a lot of different reasons why somebody might be staying at a hotel or dining at a restaurant. It's not always. A honeymoon or a celebration or an anniversary, um, wouldn't it be fantastic if it was? And mm-hmm. I think it's really our job is to figure out um, and be mindful of that and really to pay attention to to what the signals are and to really listen and to be really present, which again, I think are skills that we're slowly, perhaps those muscles are not getting exercised right. enough. <laughs> so you have to be really mindful of it. Um, and I guess what I, I look at um, is that if, if we get the get the tools and the training to our team. That's our job and then we turn a lot of things over to them at that point where then it's their opportunity to really meet that guest at their at whatever hospitality looks like for them and that can look so different for so many different people and I think it's very important to not just one size fits all stamp that out. It's hard to do and, and you're mm-hmm. not going to nail it every time but if we're being really intentional about it and if that's at least what the goal is um, then I think you can really have this meaningful moment that it doesn't have to be fireworks and and um, balloons it's not always a bottle of champagne in someone's room that may not be really needing meeting their need at all if they're there for their father's funeral that right. um, you know just trying to be trying to be um, conscious of listening to yeah. the guest I think that if somebody felt understood and heard I can't imagine a better guest experience than than that so
0: I remember there one of my very very favorite Jonathan gold pieces was about his love for like a mid-range hotel chain and saying like you know he had gotten the opportunity to stay at luxury places and somebody mm-hmm. said he felt like he was always being watched mm-hmm. and to, it can be
1: somewhat sterile yeah so
0: was, yeah and he was saying like you know he he <clears throat> felt the scrutiny he's like you know i knew it was for my benefit but felt the scrutiny but he really there was i wish i could remember which hotel chain it was but mm. he was saying it was somewhere uh it was in midtown manhattan and saying like for people with an expense account but you know not mm-hmm. necessarily there to be fancy but there for business but he yeah. liked the anonymity the being left alone during that i imagine for some people that's the ideal stage not being fussed over it's to be like left the hell alone right
1: the left the hell alone or like the the um you know the jedi type of service where you don't even realize it's there but the next thing you know your coffee cup has been filled it doesn't always have to be so in your face and it's really our job is to be able to read a guest very very quickly and then again take some type of action and then watch and listen for a reaction mm-hmm. to know whether we got it right and we're you know you you have to make these decisions so quickly yeah. as you're sizing up a sizing up a gas and you'd hate to make an assumption incorrectly but um but really listening to their response and listening to those cues that's that's the difference i think than just something that's programmatic we we don't we don't, you know, give a script to our team. They really are allowed to be themselves. Um, a lot of our team doesn't wear uniforms. And even as something as, as that really does set the tone um, that if you dress them up, it's they maybe are a little bit less themselves. And maybe from the benefit of that is you feel like you have better control. The reality is, they're probably taking that uniform that's like in the back of their car, and they're wearing right. it for the fourth time that week um, <laughs> because it's their uniform. Whereas if they're wearing their own clothes, they might actually be clean, um, <laughs> pressed, um, and ready to go. But I think that that component of just letting, allowing people's personality to come through—you um, know, I, when we opened Louisville, allowing a teammate to have this. So that was for a 14, thirteen years ago, um, allowing. A, you know, a server to wear uh, any sort of pier- piercings or tattoos that was that was not a, and it was definitely not done in, in Louisville um, but that really wasn't happening that much yeah. and so we just said it's like everything is this all welcome like we be yourself and we've heard that time and time again from our team of like this is the first place I really felt like I could be myself the guest that's the experience that the guest wants they don't want somebody that's been just scrubbed and polished and they've got their script and like okay they're just saying it they don't mean it in any way shape or form as opposed to somebody that's like hey do you need you know just paying attention to what someone's needs are like you have a cold how about we help you with that um that's those are lo- just those little things yeah
0: one of my favorite things is if I go to somewhere sort of super high end and they're wearing the expensive suit or whatever and you see a little bit of tattoo peek out of there
1: uh-huh. I love yeah that. you're like tell me more about that that's yeah. the person I want to get to know
0: yeah or even just see or, or you can tell that they have taken out like they're they're piercing like they're they're not wearing it but you know that no they, they have there. It. yeah yeah because yeah. it makes me feel like okay my people. are are working here Um, is there anything that you wish that that you would you want to talk about that we did not hit on
1: no I think this has been yeah this has been really comprehensive so
0: what would you tell 20 years ago Sarah um, what what would you tell her now about her career
1: Um, I in terms of like what would you
0: want her to know At that point, like she's maybe she's, you know, getting started out or, you know, like what, what would you say to her? What do you wish she had known?
1: Um, Well, I, I think maybe how all of these small pieces um, ultimately come together to, it's like collecting, I don't know. It's like, I feel like when you're young, you've got a basket and that you're collecting tools and they come in all different shapes and sizes and that but there's but the end of it you've got this whole basket of experience of interactions with people um inspirations from people other things that you maybe i'm never i don't want to be that kind of of leader and i guess if there was if there was anything um that you know that whole thought of like everything happens for a reason um a lot of those smaller moments were more important than I really thought at the time. But it's amazing how much I do draw upon those experiences. Um, In order to go to Cornell, um, I had to – I I had an ROTC scholarship, and so I wanted to go to that hotel school so desperately that I was willing to wear combat boots to do it. And so I applied and got a scholarship um, and then owed military service. And, Kat, that was not anything that I was inherently interested in. I had no idea you'd done that. So what what did you do in the military? um, I was um, ultimately retired as a captain. I was a quartermaster officer. Okay, I had no idea. I (laughs) would have asked you so many questions about that. (laughs) um i i' yeah a little uh it, it was not anything that i i did not you know at age eight was I planning assaults and raids in my backyard, and it just was nothing, but I thought I want to go to the school so badly, and that was the path that yeah. was the that was the way I was going to be able to do it My parents were never going to be able to afford to to send me there and um I thought well okay, i'm gonna go and i'm gonna figure out a way by god some you know some somehow to do it, and at the time doing that. I, if somebody had asked me, I would have said, I'm 100% doing this for the money. The joke totally became on on me that that experience of, first of all, doing something and the importance of doing something. And then if you're going to do it, do it well. Like, yeah, if you're, you know, if, if, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. So there was that lesson that, you know, if you're going to spend time on something, then really just really do it and be thoughtful about it and be present and, and all of those things. And the other was... Um, I learned a lot of leadership. <laughs> leadership yeah. Of, so um, yeah, where's the, from that. So
0: the intersection of military and hospitality, I know that there's a lot built in there. Cause I know that like, planning. The, well, and I know like <laughs> yeah. the, that, um, the CIA, not the government one, but the <laughs> Culinary Institute of America was, was yeah. founded to help, uh, you know, re, uh, mil- people coming back from the military learn a trade. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. There, there's, there's a, there, yeah, there's a really deep, connection there for you know people coming back from wartime and they had to you know learn how to make a living outside of there and so there there really is i mean there's there's the brigade system in the
1: kitchen which right. comes from worse yeah Way back yeah there,
0: that's so yeah. how yeah. have the two informed each other
1: um i i think um well a lot of it i i have to say planning because mm-hmm. that was you you we took classes on how to plan, um, that were part of the military training. And so they've got the leadership training piece down and the idea of, um, a chain of command and a really clear chain of command, uh, I think about that all the time of like, ah, oh, that's kind of broken because of a chain of command issue and a lack of clarity. And we try to identify those in our own organization. And particularly as we've tried to scale, um, that it does, it's not always perfect. And we see where that becomes challenging and you just watch it unfold and it has nothing to do with the people themselves. It's just, that's how it works yeah. from an organizational behavior perspective. So, um, I think, I think today, I mean, the lesson that I, that I learned at the time was, um, you know, it's, it's great to have something that you really want to go after, and it's worth that. Seem, seemingly, it was a sacrifice. And so that was a, that's a good lesson to learn as a young person, you know, 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. But what I draw on now more is all of the, the methodical right. training um, that, that came about that was really from a, a leadership perspective like you know i think what simon sinek has read that you know has written the book now you know great leaders eat last well that's a military that's a military thing you eat last and that is there were a lot of tenants like that that were just that's how it was done period the end um Another one that I think is fantastic is, um, and that made me think of this with uh, Ashley Christensen's um, article, where she was saying, you know, she felt like she had to have all the answers. Inherently, the way that the military is structured is that you have commissioned officers, and then you have non-commissioned officers. And the non-commissioned officers are really the experts. They are the ones that, that is, they are the experts in that. And the commissioned officer is the person that's trying to lead and plan and get all of the get all those things moving in the right mm-hmm. direction. Those are two really different skill sets. But you could be a leader of something that you don't, from a technical perspective, you have no knowledge of. That person is absolutely the expert well over you, and they have much more time in service than you do. And here you are, this young second lieutenant <laughs> that's coming out as like a platoon leader. And these people, they've been doing this for many years. Well, that happens in the hospitality business all the time. There, are you know, cooks in our kitchen that have – they. They do a much better job cooking than I do, but we each have to respect what each other's role is. And so what I loved about the military was that it taught you as a young officer all of these quick one-liners that you could say, um, so, uh, Private, um, tell me about that. Pretend like I know nothing about what you're doing (laughs) because you'd save face a little bit. Wow. Wow. And you say pretend like I know nothing about what you're doing. Tell me about that. And they, you know, they would their chest would puff up, and they're like, they they know every single thing about how to take whatever piece of equipment apart, or how to maintain, or how to clean it. And they would be able to share that with you. And you really need both of those components together to do what the military does, um, which you know is pretty remarkable when you think about everything that they're doing and how many people they're trying to manage towards one mission or I mean it's really pretty incredible so yeah I think that there are tons of parallels that I find all the time and that's been the biggest surprise to me
0: you've blown my mind I never knew (laughs) I never knew this about you this is incredible Oh, you should
1: have seen me in maternity uh (laughs) I think we're gonna Uh, have to run
0: I think we're gonna have to run a picture because that is that is incredible
1: it's pretty funny
0: so you have I ask everybody this um you have well in particular, now that I know you have served our country, but you also um, take such great care and hospitality of other people. So here's where I invoke Oprah and the secret. And oh, so yeah. I really believe in um, saying things out loud that you want. Um, so the universe hears you and people listening can, can hear. What is something you want for yourself? What is the, the thing that you that you want? Just your selfish thing. What do you want?
1: Wow, um, it is true. When you are in the business of hospitality and leading others, that you do sometimes forget about yourself along the way. And um, I have two two boys too um, that are teenagers, and so there's that. Yeah, you're worried about what they need um, too. So I guess um, you know the word peace comes to mind. Um, I talked about that Ramon, uh, <laughs> that right. voice in your in your head, <laughs> that guy who's in the dark corner smoking a cigarette, um, telling you that you're shit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have so much of that negative self talk. Um, I'm normally pretty po- pretty positive and feel pretty confident. Mm-hmm. But um, I do. I, I wish that I didn't question certain things as yeah. much as I as I do, and um, I can grab on to things and really hang on to them. And I probably need to do a better job of letting some of them go. So maybe just a little bit of peace and being able to be a little bit more accepting of, um, how things come, come to me. So I love that. We're going to move on to the speed round. Okay. <laughs> what is your comfort food? Chocolate. <laughs> Any particular kind? um all the kinds. I, I just learned of a brand um it's As, As, that's in um oh, do you know of this Sean he's written a book it's unbelievable. I've seen it written down. I think it's Askanosi. Yeah. yeah. I heard him speak recently. He was pretty incredible and he's uh out of Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Um small town. It's delicious.
0: Oh, okay. oh, beautiful. Um what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional?
1: Oh gosh. Um Wow. Um okay, I was at uh Barbara Lynch's her what was her her um first her, like her flagship uh third uh, um 39 39 yeah it's on the park 39 park? 19? 19 19 19 or is it it's 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 a number <laughs> it's a number and it's on the park number 19 maybe. and um I had taken my son on college tours and and he it was when he was applying so it was his, yeah. it was the fall of his senior year and I sat at the bar and just had a really beautiful meal mm. and I just allowed myself to just be really happy yeah. <laughs> and That's it was hard. really, yeah, I just thought I'm just really happy. And I'm going to just take a moment and be so pleased that, you know, he's got a great opportunity. And that, um, yeah, it was just, a, it was a really nice moment. That's and I, you know, shed a couple of tears sitting at the bar by myself, which I do love eating by myself. It's, it's such a great of thing. It's the greatest joy. You made yeah. yourself vulnerable in a restaurant. Yeah. That's really, yeah. really lovely.
0: Yeah. Or maybe it's number nine. I can't remember. Yeah, it's, number it's Nine. A, what is it? Yeah, it's a like, number. It is um, a number. Yeah. Um, what is the last meal that somebody made for you in their home?
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, I uh had delicious cowboy eggs and um bacon from a really dear friend uh every Saturday morning. And um Oh that's it's, so nice. That's really great. Yeah. What what are cowboy eggs? Cowboy eggs um sometimes that would be called toad in a hole. So oh, yeah. Put, she makes her own homemade bread and then her husband makes um yeah, the toad in the hole and then puts cheese over the top and uh then makes this bacon that has a little bit of cayenne and maple um no, or brown sugar mm-hmm. sprinkled on the top. It's like baking candy and it's delicious. And, um, people meet in their kitchen on Saturday mornings and mm. it's a pretty spectacular experience. It's
0: really lovely. So what, uh, and this is another thing, putting it out into the universe, just in case yeah. this person is listening, what yeah. living musician would you want to cook for? And what would you cook for them?
1: Oh gosh! Well, I would I would have to say the um, the entire band Umphrey's McGee um, because my family is obsessed with them, and I am really. I like them because of the immersion therapy that my family has put me through. <laughs> so, wow. Um, <laughs> just it was like, okay, you can't beat them, join them. And now, yeah, I'm about to go see them at the Ryman um, in Nashville at the oh, end wow. of this month. I'm super excited. And uh, I, I mean, in the beginning, they're a jam band. They're really great. They've just celebrated, I think, 20, 21 years. Wow. And um, my son is on a is on a mission to go to 100 of their shows. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> so what, yeah. what would you cook for them? Um, what would I cook for them? Yeah. Um, well, I got an instant pot and oh, cat. <laughs> you know, uh, I love that. Yeah. And um, I think I would probably do, there was a great recipe. I think it was a Melissa Clark re- recipe. In She's the, good. Girl's in the, good. In the, in the times. And uh, and that's what I've, I've made that probably multiple times because my other son is like, it, it's also like meat candy. I'm, I like sweet things. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably what I would make. And then we just chill out and have some beers. That sounds really nice. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And the final question you have five uninterrupted minutes for self care. What do you do? Take
1: a hike. (laughs) really even if it was five minutes right just be outside and get get some sunlight i learned from andy and sarah that that's actually called i think they called it forest bathing (gasps) yeah i was is that a (laughs) thing yeah it's it's a thing i I
0: hadn't i I had heard forest bathing i didn't know what it meant and (laughs) (laughs) it
1: is forest bathing though when you think about it it's like being oh it's just the greatest feeling i like i i like i try to hike every sunday that sounds like a really lovely thing yeah, to do. That's great.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much to, to our guest today, Sarah Robbins. And you can find her. What are your socials? Oh, um, gosh, cat, I'm terrible.
1: <laughs> well, they're going to be. Like, <laughs> well, I think it's like I'm SB Robbins or something. But yeah, it'll it'll, SB Robbins KY, I think, yeah. on Instagram. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you can find 21C at uh, all the different plat- media platforms and stuff. And you should just yeah. go and visit one and, like, snuggle with oh, a penguin. Please do. Yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, just do it. It's a good time. <laughs> and uh, sorry, I'm going to like, I'm going to back up that for a second. I just fumbled. <laughs> like So you can, and you can follow 21C on, do you remember the handle for that? If not, we're just going to put it in the episode. We're going to put it in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and just stay in one and snuggle with a penguin. Um, thank you so much to our producers, uh, Jennifer Martnick, Alicia Cabral, and Amy Frank. Thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, write a review, or rate us. If there is something you'd like us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear more from, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at KittenWithAWhip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all of the episodes at foodandwine.com and at Food & Wine's YouTube page. Thank you for listening and take good care of yourself until next time.